0: How do you heal a broken heart? Maybe, maybe you could preach to that heart the classic cliches. You could say, you could say well, well, there are many fish in the sea. Or, or something like, time heals all wounds. Maybe if, if you're a, one of those outside-of-the-box thinkers, um, you, could, you could do something a little more drastic. You could gather together a team of researchers, a team of doctors, and study exactly how to heal a broken heart. And maybe you could come up with something tangible, some type of objective truth that you could give as advice to people with with broken hearts, maybe. In 2007, a similar study actually did take place. Three medical doctors by the names of Benkelman, Dye, and Becker wanted to figure out how they could heal spiritual, how they could heal broken hearts. And their, their study was actually very specialized because they took, they took 60 people who had actual, literal, broken hearts. They all had either stage 2, 3, or 4 heart failure. And their study was very specialized because they studied how spirituality would affect those hearts. And they found that the people who, who had a stable spiritual life, those people actually healed better and fared better than those... Who are spiritually depraved or, or spiritually depressed. So you could say, in that sense, they, they figured out the key, right? They figured out how to heal a real physical broken heart, or at least how to help. Where would you put yourself in that study? <clears throat> would you put yourself on the side of those who were spiritually stable, or the side of those who were spiritually depressed? Today we're going to study Psalm 42, at least an excerpt of it, and I'm going to read it here in a few seconds, and as, as I do, I want you to think about and, and focus on how this psalmist goes back and forth from being in this state of, of spiritual depression to a state of being spiritually stable. Today we're going to study this psalm. We're going to do a, do a study that's really conducted not by some medical doctor, but by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I think... The end of it will come to a conclusion that our God has a pretty amazing fix. Please follow along with me on page nine as I read these verses. The psalmist writes: My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The words of the psalmist. In order to study what was going on in this psalmist's mind and heart, we need to know a little bit about his life. And we do know a couple things. We know that he was what's called a Levite. He was from the clan of those people, the part of the, the Israelite clan who, who took care of the temple. Their life's work was to work in the temple to, to worship God and to, and to worship God with, with other people. And we know one other thing about this psalmist for sure. We know that he was not able to accomplish his life's goal. When you read this whole psalm, you can easily imagine this, this psalmist sitting sitting in his house, looking out a window, wishing that he could see the skyline of Jerusalem. Wishing he could see the holy temple raised up on a holy hill in all its glory. And he wished that he could walk up its stone steps and put his hand on a cool door that was overlaid in gold and push his way in. And he wished he could walk down the stone corridors and hear the echo of his feet as he sat down at the feet of a rabbi who read the words of the Torah, the Ketavim, the Nevaim, the the words of the scripture, the ancient, beautiful Hebrew words that he loved. The psalmist wished he could do every one of those things, but he couldn't because his enemies had come dragged him away from that temple, dragged him away from that city, and they had removed him and placed him in some city or some nation far away. And it felt like to him that he couldn't worship his God anymore. It felt like to him like like his God had abandoned him completely. And the worst part of the entire ordeal was when the people that he hated, his enemies, walked up to him and said, yeah, where is your God? Your God isn't here. He's, he's abandoned you. He's left. You aren't in his temple. What has he done for you lately? When the psalmist believed those lies, he suffered the worst pain. That's when it felt like his bones were shattering. That's, like it, it, that's when it felt like he was completely spiritually depraved and, and, and couldn't hold on to anything. You and I get to be right where the psalmist wished to be, where he longed to be, where he sung about. We get to be here in God's house right now. But spiritual depression is still a very real problem that you and I can fall into. Because you and I still have enemies that whisper in our ears the same thing that was whispered in the psalmist's ear. Where is your God? Maybe for you, it's, it's your human reason. Maybe that's the voice whispering in your ear. Maybe you read the words of Scripture. You read the accounts and the stories, and, and they seem hard to accept. Your logical brain, the, the, the very smart brain that you have, tells you that, that it can't be true. It must not be true. And that little voice says, well, where really is God? Or maybe, maybe for you, it's a real person in your life whom, whom you love so very dearly and you want them to know more about God's will and who he is and, and what he has for them. But then they come back to you with a sound, logical, argumentative treatise that, that says, where is God in this crazy world? And when we start to believe those lies that, that enemies tell, then we're on the verge of of falling into a spiritual depression like the psalmist. We're on the verge of of turning around these thoughts so deeply in our brains that that it feels like God has abandoned us. And when when we fall into that type of a depression, a spiritual depression, then we're on the verge of, of forgetting so much about our relationship with God and giving in to the weaknesses, the sinful weaknesses that have plagued us our entire lives. As the psalmist went back and forth throughout this psalm, he stumbled on one very important steadfast truth. It's in verse 8, he writes, By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. In this Hebrew style of poetry, This verse sticks out because as you you read the whole Psalm 42, you see that there isn't a whole lot else that really relates to this verse, at least in thought. It'd be almost as if you were to read a poem today and there was one line in there that didn't rhyme at all. It would stick out to you. It would be emphasized. You would remember that. You would wonder why it was there. That's sort of how this verse is here. It's it's here. We remember it. We we see it because, because it's the one part in this Psalm that is steadfast. The one truth in this psalm that the the psalmist never goes back on. First he says, by day the Lord directs his love. Each and every day the Lord has complete control and command over his love. And he chooses it to direct it to you, a, a lost and doubting creature who needs it. And his love cuts through all of the cunning, deceitful lies of the devil and of the world. And then the psalmist continues and he says, At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I could only find one other place in the Bible where God has a song for human beings, for his people. And here he, here he has a song for those who, who are downcast. And it's a song to lift spirits. And at the end of of this book of Zephaniah, maybe a little bit of an obscure book, only three chapters, at the end of this book, God has another song for humans. And it's a song that comes when God sings about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord comes and God delivers his people out of their trials and tribulations and he sings a song rejoicing over his people. So of the two instances in the Bible where God sings a song, one of them is to lift spirits, and another is to rejoice and to make spirits even higher. God's song, when he sings to people, must be a good song. Must be a good gospel song. And you've heard that song. You've heard that song coming from a hill at Golgotha. Coming from the mouth of, Jesus, of, of God's son. When he, when he sang out, it is finished. And you've heard that song when it came three days later when when Jesus broke open the grave and raised from from the dead and he said, your sins are forgiven because of what I've done. And there's a verse written in God's song, God's good gospel song that says, Jesus will come again, will descend with the clouds with a great angelic choir, singing another very good song, singing a song with all of the believers who have ever lived and who ever will live saying you will be in heaven with him. There is one steadfast truth, one absolute truth that we find in God's song, that he sings to you to be a prayer for you, each and every one of your nights. As you read through Psalm 42, you see that you and I are very much like the psalmist. And he comes to, to one conclusion, a refrain, that one thing that he can latch on to. It's actually listed twice in this, in this psalm, once in verse 5, which we don't have in the bulletin, but then also once in verse 11. At the end there, he, just, he, he actually prays to himself. He says, put your hope in God. Because he has this God who directs his all-surpassing love to him, And because he has this God who sings an all-loving gospel song to him each and every night, he says, what more can I do in my time of spiritual depression than hope in God? To put my hope in that divine being who is so very powerful and sings me a song, a gospel song. So put your hope in God. Pray that prayer. I I can think of of hundreds and hundreds of self-help books and many, many hours that people have spent sitting on a couch getting advice from somebody they paid. But I can't think of a better way to raise your spirits in a time of spiritual depression than to pray, put your hope in God. A God whose song contains every loving truth of your Savior, Jesus Christ, forgave each and every one of your sins. Amen. Please stand